listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. We uncover the future of higher education, current trends, insights from the sector's brightest, and actionable advice for leaders and executives. Creating impactful universities, well-branded colleges, and best-in-class student experiences. Join us as we redefine the sector one episode at a time. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar D. Jarnett with Engine Systems. I'm flying solo today, uh, but we've got an amazing guest, uh, Amber Tolbert. Um, I'm really excited to have you. And uh, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, Kamar, thank you for having me. Um, Again, my name is Amber Tolbert, and I am a regional director of operations um, for a small liberal arts private school that has a big wing stand across the U.S., um, and I'm happy to be here today. Nice, nice, nice. So how, how'd you get into higher ed? Yeah, so education, I guess, is in my blood. Um, I am a daughter of a seventh grade history teacher, <laughs> um, and you know, education has always been important, but I knew... I did not really have the patience for a K-12. So I said, higher ed, it probably will be. Um, and as I went through undergrad myself um, as a community college transfer student into a state school, um, I got my fair share of advisors um, and realized I could probably just do this. And I think that'd be a cool thing. So I got into a space I didn't know much about. Um, and I started off in admissions and then student success, financial aid, and it just kind of rolled from there. Um, but I just wanted to be able to, to help guide students through college. Because if you don't know, if you don't come from a generation of anyone who's been um, to college, whether that's community college, trade school, anything after anything post-secondary, it's a, it's hard to navigate through. So I just wanted to be there in that space for our students um, and help them through the whole process. Nice. Nice. So one of the things you told me that you were passionate about was just kind of financial literacy when it comes to funding a person's education. I know that's been kind of really popular, um, especially with the pandemic. Um, kind of how do you, how do you see that and why do you feel like it's so important? So, um, yes, I, when I first got into higher ed, I was really green. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, and where I where I was stationed at had great programs, but they were expensive programs. And so I didn't understand financial aid. I learned it as an admissions rep trying to help my students. I didn't understand there were loan limits. I didn't understand, um, you know, that if you can't transfer all your credits, then you've that money is, is gone. You can't really get it back unless you pay it down. Um, and I realized that a lot of my students didn't understand that either. So um, my third job in higher ed was as a financial aid counselor. I took a step down from a director of student services position and went into financial aid to really learn it for myself, but for my students um, and to help them understand this is an investment. So it doesn't just start with, I want to go to college. I'm going to fill out a FAFSA and go. Sure. Um you know, you, you really need a plan. You need to figure out, is this what I want to do? And if so, what does it look like when I get out of school? And not just can I get a job, but what else will it take for this position? What's the career outlook like? How much money am I realistically going to probably make? And what's the return on this investment so I can either pay these loans back? Um, educating about scholarships. Um, I think a lot of us just are thinking scholarships are this magical thing that only really smart people or athletes get. 
Um, sure. But scholarships are out there from everywhere, right? You know, there's different companies with scholarships, different cities with scholarships. And so um, I really made a point at, at my current university that I'm at now to get out into the community, um, whether they were going to our school or not, and just really give them, you know, FAFSA workshops. Here's what scholarships are available. All the things for the community to figure out what they need, um, especially for the younger um, students for first generation students for adult learners who started school 12 years ago and now they're trying to finish um, finding all those different outlets to help to fund education to where it's not so much of a burden on the student when they get out you know how to graduate in the in the a time that is equitable for you to learn with the least amount of debt possible yeah it's um it's interesting because like a lot of kids really don't know about you know how many scholarship opportunities are out there. And, you know, do you have any thoughts on, you know, kind of exposing them to the opportunities and how they can learn about, because I went to Penn State and I remember it was this, this guy, he had a, a, a Maxima. It was that year Maxima. And um, I remember asking my friend, I was like, uh, I was like, what does he do? Does he have rich parents or, you know, is he, you know, in some extracurricular activities? And he said, no, nah. he said, man, he said, every scholarship that was out there, he wrote an essay he signed up for and he said he got enough money to pay off, you know, school and also get some money left over. And I was like, man, I just filled out the basic forms and I was just happy to be accepted. You know, so I think that's kind of the mindset, uh, like you said, of most people. How do we change that? Or is it possible? I think it's just like we're doing right now. Right. It's just getting the word out and letting people understand that it is attainable. And the, the sad but true part, is your friend's a great example of this, is that people will see a scholarship and think, oh, I don't qualify for that. Not realizing that maybe no one's even applied for this mm-hmm. and they need to donate. This money is earmarked to be donated to yep. somebody. And so if you're the only one who applied, you're going to get it because yep. no one else did. Right. So it's like, let them tell you no. Apply anyway. You know, work with... Um, our career development center helped with essay writing and mm-hmm. um, our English department helped with essay writing, but on, on the purpose of scholarships, you know, most of them want to say, tell us your story or tell us why college is important to you. It's usually not very technical. Right. Um, and I was on the foundation of a scholarship committee in Kansas city, Missouri. And one thing that we told them was like, scratch the essay. If you're having trouble with a certain demographic as more of our younger, um, fresh out of high school students, okay, can we do a YouTube video mm-hmm. where they just record themselves answering sure. the question in which you have asked? Because they might be more comfortable giving that out verbally and maybe not be as comfortable in their writing skills, but that's what college is for, right? To get us ready for the writing skills. Sure. Um, so just getting out there and meeting the students where they are to explain, like, don't be terrified of just applying for things. People will tell you no, but someone's going to tell you yes. And every little scholarship counts. I don't care if it's $100 yep. or $1,000. It all will add up into your, your overall package to help fund school. Yeah, I mean, you sometimes you have the churches that are giving $300 for this, this fellowship and then that fellowship. And then, like you said, all of that adds up. Um, so I'm curious... From, you know, I guess the higher ed institutions, right? You know, when people come in and enroll, or do they have a role to play in terms of, of, of helping students become more financial literate? They do. Um, well, for one, the Department of Education holds everyone in a higher ed setting responsible for that, whether that's your exact job title or not. So even if you hear a student like, I don't know, I just took out a ton of loans. You're like, okay, I need you to go talk to 
your financial aid counselor, right? You want to point them in the right direction. But we do, we take the time to make sure that um, we're giving them their award package is what you call it. So um, it's the, it's basically like your, your bank for your, for your money to pay for school, right? Um, so if you've got Pell Grants, how much do you have? Does it cover everything for you? No? Okay, well, let's keep looking. Um, do you have any scholarships that are outside scholarships or institutional scholarships? So at the university, um, there's scholarships in place there. We're going to see if, if you qualify for that. Let's add that on. And if you've exhausted all of your free options, then it's when you step down into different loan options. And we try to make that like the last resort. Sure. So even before um, I tell my students, you know, hey, you're going to take out a loan. It's just like, well, what other where do you work? You know, are you working at a place that offers tuition reimbursement? Um, are you are you working at a place that partners with us? And now you can get 10 percent off your tuition. You know, we try to look at other, other things before we hit loans. Um, at my university and my students are very blessed for the fact that our tuition is not very expensive. And so if they're a full Pell eligible student, they can typically get through a academic year. So, so two semesters full time, taking out maybe $2,000 in loans. So if you multiply that by four, it's really not bad. And that's subsidized loans. So that interest is not building up while they're in school and then hit them, you know, when they graduate. Right. So Um, that makes a difference. And when I say it to my students, they're like, oh, okay, so I don't need both of these ones. I'm like, no, you just need, you just need one if that's your last option, you know? Nice. My, my apologies. Um, you, you said something earlier too, in regards to kind of the return on investment. And I think that's coming to play a lot more, you know, with the pandemic and some parents thinking about not even sending their school, uh, kids to school because they wouldn't get the campus experience and things like that. And, you know, really just a lot of people just kind of reevaluating that. Um, do you have any thoughts on kind of that and how, you know, we can make more clear what the return on investment is? Definitely. I think it's, um, I, I work with two different demographics of students. So let me kind of paraphrase that first. Sure. Um, and so for our, I have adult learners that I work with and they're like, they're in the world, they're working, and they're like, I chose the wrong path, so now I know what I want to do. And then on the flip side, I have my 18 to 24-year-olds that are like, I don't really know. You know, I just want a good job. I want a nice car. I want a nice house. Sure. And I like X, right? So I I try to really have them pinpoint down. Um, if you could go to work tomorrow and have the degree you need, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And then we work our way back from there. Nice. Um, and so, you know, I have some students who are like, I just want to be... I want to own my own business. I want to be an entrepreneur. And I'm like, great. Have you started school? Have you looked into that? We have business programs. But while you're doing this, start the business, Mm. right? Because it's going to help you know how to hone your skill, but you don't have to wait. Um, They can be done at the same time because school is mostly flexible. But for for the parents who are looking for the student who wants to go to the the big state school with the football team and have that experience. It's like, well, what are you really paying for? Because are you paying for the education or are you paying for the experience? And at the end of the day, the degree looks the same on the paper five years after someone graduates college and goes to work. The employer doesn't care how many football games and frat parties right. they have to go to. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Um, and so it's important for the student to say, okay, well, maybe I take my gen ed online at a different school that's less expensive. Maybe I take some gen eds in community college and knock those out and then go to the bigger state school in two years. Um, because there's ways to do that to work more cost effective um, and really think it out. I've got friends that are in the professional space 
um, their doctors, chiropractors, lawyers, and they had to take out an abundance of loans. I mean, like a mortgage right. of loans. And some were like, I wasn't prepared to know how to start my own firm, how to start my own practice. Um, I was just prepared to get out and pass the test. And so it's, it's also educating if they're going to go into a lot of debt to get to their profession, how to really monetize off of that besides just going to work for someone else. When most of those professions, you're working for yourself. Um, so that's important as well. Sure, sure. So I want to transition a bit because I've been running into this more and more, but you talked about innovation and instructional modalities. And I'm making the assumption here that that would also help to, you know, boost or increase the return on investment in terms of, you know, how much what they're learning is actually going to allow them to apply it into the real world. But I really love to hear your take on it. Yeah. So it's a little bit of of both. Also, what you mentioned earlier with with the pandemic, right? So um, at our institution, along with others, we had to pivot fast. Um, we, We did not have time to sit there and say, well, what are we going to do and take a whole semester to brainstorm? No, we had to go quickly. And so um, we were blessed to be in a position to where we have been online for years. All of our programs are already online. The problem is we still have a good amount of students who like to be in the camp. They're like, I don't like online. I feel like I'm teaching myself. I know that I'm not, but I feel like I am. Mm. I need I need a bridge. And so um, last fall, we introduced a type of instructional modality to where a student can be in the classroom or on Zoom. We had limited classroom space, like six, no more than five or six students in a room. Um, and then everybody else could Zoom in and you could come and go as you please. So you just had to be there on a Tuesday night from six to nine that I could be at my house and still see the teacher and still see my student or my classmates, right? Um, and the light bulb went off for students. They were like, this is it. This is what we need because I don't have the, I need the flexibility for my kids to be eating dinner while I'm taking class, but I'm not a hundred percent online to where I feel like I'm just doing it all myself and I need the structure. Sure. Um, so that helped with that. But on the ROI, it helped because, again, it gave the student that flexibility. I can take a class at night so I can still keep my job. I don't have to quit my job to go to college and then take out a lot of loans to pay my rent or my dorm fees um, because I'm not bringing in income um, or I can only work part time in the evening. Right. So it changed the game. Um, for a lot of our students, even the younger high school students who typically wouldn't be in an evening class uh, because they're like, if I'm not going to be going to the big state school right now this year, I'm going to keep my summer job or I'm going to go get a job and take classes at night or take classes online and plow through this this first year or second year of college. Um, so it helps in a lot of different ways. Nice. So th- I guess this is more of a hybrid model. It is. It's a hybrid model, flex model. Um, and you know, we're, we're really offering students, um, we're trying for fall, hopefully we'll see how it goes, but to be able to come in, stay home with a teacher, you know, via virtual classroom or stay home and do the traditional online class that we've been offering for years. Um, all of which is in the same online classroom experience. So whether you're doing one or the other, you're not learning how to use new systems and new technology. It's all the same. Just one has a live video component, one does not, or one is just 100% in the classroom. Got it. Got it. So what are some lessons that you that you learned from the pandemic? You know, we learned to be flexible, uh, to be able to uh, problem solve in a hurry. 
uh, to communicate well. We started having meetings, you know, really think April 2020, we were, I have a team of people that are all over the country. Um, and so we're meeting every morning at 11 o'clock to say, what changed today? Mm. What direction are we going in today? Because every day was different. Wow. Um, and so we learned how to work together. We learned how to work with less um, and work with what we have, you know, we're going to work from home while juggling kids and pets and, you know, all the right. things like everybody else. Um, and, but most importantly, and I don't want to, we learn to not just listen to our students, but be really more in tune to their needs. It's easy to get into a rut in higher ed. If you've got students, they're like, oh, I don't like this teacher. or Oh, this teacher doesn't like me. Or I can't, you know, I can't do this. We want to just push them and, and give them that positive encouragement. Say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. But with 2020, it's like, okay, you might not. Um, and we can't either. So let's figure it out together. So mm. really bringing their voice, bringing their voice into the picture and letting them know it matters. Um, you know, we were doing this hybrid model class that we figured out last summer and we deployed it. And then midway through the fall semester, we said, is this working for you, students? Is this working for you, faculty? Um, you know, and then getting that feedback and continuing to refine it, um, not feeling like, okay, we've arrived or we, we solved the COVID problem. No, we did not. <laughs> it will, but we've, now we've got the right tools in the toolbox to continue to, to refine and, um, utilize what we've learned throughout this year and the next if necessary. Got it. What are one or two things that you think were so, you know, influential or successful that even, you know, when the po uh, pandemic is really, really completely over, you'll still keep it? I Probably this middle of the road hybrid model. Um, being able to take a class video, see my instructor, ask my instructor questions in real time, um, talk to my classmates in real time. They can talk to me, whether they're at their house or in the classroom. Um, that is something that our, our students seem to really like. Our instructors who teach from home really like it as well. Um, and so it seems to be a win-win-win for everyone that came from a situation that was very dire. Got it. So I'll hit you back with kind of phrase this question the way you did. So if 10 years from now was actually tomorrow, what would higher ed look like? What would higher ed 2.0 be? Higher ed 2.0 is going to be crazy flexible. I feel like we're on the way there. Um, you know, my boss laughs at me sometimes because I'll tell her, I'm like, look, are, are, are we going to evolve? Or are we going to just stick to what we know? And she's like, we're going to evolve. We have got to get this done. Um, we're bringing up a generation of, of students, of future students who have never had a life without the technology that we have now. Sure. Um, and they're smart and they're going to figure out bigger, better, funner, more important ways to learn. Right. And so we have to be ready to listen to that, to take it seriously and to give them the space to express how they want to learn, how they learn best, how they want to collaborate, um, because they're going to be our next workforce. And if we want business enterprise, nonprofit to grow, then we've got to listen to to the young minds and really help nurture and foster that for them. I think it's going to be crazy flexible though. Um, yeah. Got it. Any final thoughts for our audience? Um, you know, I think this is, this is a, a crazy time for higher ed at, at every industry, right? But um, if you're someone, if you're a student who's currently in classes and you're like, I don't even know what tomorrow looks like for my life. You know, I encourage you to really talk to the people who um, are influential in your life personally, but also educationally, you know, 
Um, talk to them, see how you can work through a few things. If you need to take a break, take a break. If you need to keep going and press forward, do that. Um, and if you're even just thinking about school or thinking about going to college, really just uh, ask yourself, what do I want to do? Where do? Where's my purpose? And really let that drive where you need to go. But don't try to go big and go home the first year out the gate. You know, there's no shame in community college um, or tech before you really get into something that's more four year, if that's what needs to be. Um, you know, no shame in that. So take your time, spend your money wisely, especially if you're taking out student loans, look at every option um, for to not go into debt that you can. Um, and if you have to as a last resort, then it's there for you, but use it smart and work with your financial, financial aid coordinators to really um, put the best plan in place for you. Got it. Can't think of a better place to end it than right there. Um, do you have any you know, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, places you want to let our audience know where they can find you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So um, Amber Tolbert, probably Amber Tolbert MBA on LinkedIn. Um, also on Instagram, A underscore Tolbert 86. Awesome. I really appreciate you. Uh, thank you uh, for your patience with my little sinus infection. I appreciate you. <laughs> Have a great weekend. No problem. Thank you. You too. All right. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Higher Ed Podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by Engine Systems and Chief Digital Marketers. For more information on topics discussed, you can visit engine.systems or chiefdigitalmarketers.com. Join us next week and every week after for more innovative and actionable advice.